Well, this morning, we're going to conclude our time together in God's lost and found department. Um, it's been a few weeks. We've been here in this department, and I trust that in Luke 15, you've uh, gotten a little different perspective on things on that. Maybe God has taught you some things through this chapter. He's not done. Still got a lot to go on this. And, and you know, you'll come back to Luke 15, I'm sure, and you'll read it again. And you go, wow, I did not notice that. Or God will use it to speak to you in some other way in your life to have you respond to his promptings. Well, we've listened in as the Lord Jesus spoke of a shepherd seeking one lost sheep. We've heard of a woman who was moved to search for one lost coin. And we have seen a father looking for and receiving home again one lost son. This whole chapter has been about the restoration of lost things. And we've learned, I trust, we've learned that God places great value on each individual's soul. God values each person. He wants to see you saved. He wants to see you to come to saving grace. He desires all to be saved, to receive that gift of salvation offered through Jesus' death and resurrection. We saw the shepherd seeking one sheep out of a hundred, one percent. We, we saw the woman seeking one coin out of ten, which was ten percent, looking for ten percent. We saw the father longing for one son out of two, which was a fifty percent search. And then today we see the same father going to another son one-on-one, which then is a hundred percent. And the lesson here is clear. God cares about each individual, and He wants all to be saved. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 3 talks about that. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Very often when the stories in this chapter are preached, you hear about the sheep, you hear about the the coin, you hear about the son, but it's not often that you hear anything about that older brother, that sibling. Why is that? (laughs) Maybe, maybe because it hits too close to home. Maybe it hits too close to home. Like the story about some preachers who were discussing the Bible one day when the subject of the older brother and his identity came up. Luke 15 was studied, and hey, Who is this guy? They were trying to figure out who he was. One older preacher spoke up and said, I know who he is. In fact, I saw him just yesterday. And the other ministers, eager to hear his response, asked, well, who is he? Who is he? And the wise old preacher simply said, he is me. He's me. And we may find out as we go through this time together, that sibling might be us. The Lord Jesus is still talking about lost things. He's still dealing with the attitude of the scribes and the Pharisees toward lost sinners that gave him an earful in verses 1 and 2 of Luke 15. This older brother pictures one who is involved in the things of God, but who sadly has no real relationship with the Father. He might be in the Father's house, but he's still lost. He's still in the distant country in his heart. As we look at this passage today, I want you to listen very carefully because this message is designed to speak to two kinds of people. First, the primary message is to those who are lost in sin and need to be saved. You might be religious. 
You might be a regular attender here at Happy Valley. You might be a good moral person, but you have never been saved. You've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior. God has a word for you today. Second, this message has a word for people who are saved, who have Jesus Christ as their Savior, but who have the same spirit and attitude as this older brother. That is, people who are upset that God is blessing. People who don't like it when the prodigal sons come home and are accepted. People who refuse to rejoice over what God is doing because it isn't being done their way. The fact is, we all have a little bit of the older brother in us from time to time. Today, we're going to consider the story of the lost sibling. Now, it may be that the Lord will use this message to pinpoint a problem area in your life. If He does, please obey. (laughs) Please obey. Obey His voice and deal with whatever issues God exposes in your life. It may be that the Lord will show you that uh, you are lost today. If, If He does, then I challenge you to come to Him for salvation today. For the next few minutes, let's turn our hearts to God and allow the Lord to speak to each of us as we consider this lost sibling. Starts in verse 25. We're going to look at the first part of verse 25 in Luke 15. And here we're going to find out the position the sibling held in the family. The position he held in the family. Real quick verse, a portion of the verse there. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. (laughs) There you go. Now, from this, we see that um, the position he held in the family was a position of privilege. He's the older brother. So he's entitled to two-thirds of his father's possessions, which is stated in the law from Deuteronomy. And since this younger brother has already received his part of the inheritance, everything belongs to this, this man. When his father dies, not only will he receive his father's possessions, he will also become the head of the family. So much has been given to this older sibling already, and more is on the way. He has truly been blessed. He is in a position of privilege. We also see here that he's in the position of productivity. When we first meet this man, he is in the fields. He's busy doing his father's business. While his younger brother has been off in the far country, living it up, this young man has stayed home, and he has kept up the family business. He's been working for the father. And at this point in the story, we don't know that there's a problem in the life of this older sibling. From every outward appearance, he's in good fellowship with his father, and all is well. But remember that he is a picture of the Pharisees and the scribes, and the religious elite that Jesus is speaking to. These were people who were also in a place of privilege. After all, they had been given the law and the revelation of the coming of Messiah. They had been given the truth, and from all outward appearances, they were walking in that truth. And the Pharisees and the scribes looked good to men, but there was a problem within their hearts. The problem was this. They were lost, and they were broken in sin, and the Lord knew it. The same thing might be true of some here today, maybe those who are online joining us as well. You're a good moral person. You come to church, 
You don't cuss, steal, or cheat, maybe. From all outward appearances, you're as good as anybody around you. But just as Jesus could look into the heart of the Pharisees and see, uh, see their lost condition, He can look within your heart and see your condition too. You see, you can, you can fool all of us, but you can't fool God. When the Lord spoke to Samuel in the process of choosing a king for Israel, He told Samuel, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You might be good. You might be moral. You might be active in our church, but you may still be lost. (laughs) You can't even trust what you feel in your heart about this matter, because Jeremiah told us about that. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Now, just to be clear, I am not trying to make anyone doubt their salvation. If you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've been saved. You have salvation. You have eternity waiting for you in heaven. Definitely. I'm just trying to point out the truth that religion does not equal salvation. Being close to the things of God does not equal being saved by the grace of God. Being in church, in a church, does not make you a Christian any more than sleeping in a garage makes you a car. Neither does climbing a tree make you a squirrel. Although these days, in the days of identifying, that's evidently debatable. (laughs) But you must not depend on who you are or what you have done for your salvation. The gap is too big. It's too great. It's too big between where you, where, where you and I are at and what God requires. Jesus explained it to Nicodemus. He said, you must be born again. Salvation is by grace, through faith. As Scripture tells us, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that No one can boast. It's by God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. (laughs) And it's through faith, placing our trust for eternal life in what Jesus has done for us by dying on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin and then rising again from the tomb on that third day. It's by grace. It's by by faith. So in verse 25, we look further here, the second part of 25 all the way through verse 30. We see that uh, this guy, he had the problem he had with the festivities that were going on. He had a problem. Verse 25, when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. 
So here's where things start to get a little too close for comfort for some of us, maybe. But as painful as it may be, these truths will help us grow in the Lord and to become more like Him. So he had a problem with the festivities. He had a problem with his motives. He had a problem with his motives. When this boy hears why there is a celebration, he is angry and refuses to go inside to the party. His father comes out, gently pleads with him to come in with the others. And his reply to his father is very telling of this boy's heart. In verse 29, he reminds the father of his faithful service and complains that he has never been given a feast for what he has done. Bottom line here is that this man didn't care that his, bro his lost brother had come home. This man didn't care about what pleased the father. This man didn't care about the glory of the father. He wanted the glory for what he had been doing. This man didn't even care about the father. He, he, he did what he did for what he could get out of it. This man even saw his service to the father as slavery. He didn't serve his father out of love for the father, but out of a desire to help himself. And sadly, this same mentality is in the hearts of some within the churches today. They have a hard time rejoicing when sinners are saved because they feel threatened. They have a little of the Jonah virus, if you will. You remember Jonah? After running away from God's call to warn the Ninevites and the whole swallowed by a fish incident, Jonah finally relents and goes to Nineveh to warn the people there. And after he delivers the message, he waits to see God's wrath wipe out the Ninevites. Come on, God, get it to them. I've done my part, you do yours. But through God's mercy, the Ninevites repent and turn to God. And in Jonah chapter 4, Jonah conveys to God his displeasure regarding the outcome. How could you? You're supposed to wipe these people out. You promised. <laughs> He's so angry at God. And why did Jonah become angry when God spared Nineveh? Well, the Jews didn't want to share God's message with Gentile nations in Jonah's day, just as they resisted that role in Paul's day. They had forgotten their original purpose as a nation to be a blessing to the rest of the world by sharing God's message with other nations. Jonah thought that God should not, have, should not freely give his salvation to a wicked pagan nation. What a waste. <laughs> Yet this is exactly what God does for all who come to him today in faith. And with that, I say, amen. Thank you, Lord. Jonah revealed the reason for his reluctance to go to Nineveh. He didn't want the Ninevites forgiven. He wanted them destroyed. Jonah didn't understand that the God of Israel was also the God of the whole world. Do you have some people in mind that should suffer God, His wrath, rather than receive His grace and mercy? Maybe you come across some people like that in your neighborhood, maybe at your work, <laughs> maybe, you're in, maybe in politics. Are you surprised when some unlikely person turns to God? Is it possible that your view is as narrow as Jonah's? We must not forget 
that in reality we don't deserve to be forgiven by God. <laughs> People who have this Jonah virus, this OSA, the older sibling attitude, cannot get excited when the church grows because they see their hold on power slipping away. They don't care about God's will being done in the church if it runs counter to their personal agenda. They want the, the accolades. They want the pats on the backs and, and the glory. Their service in the church is not about God. It's about them. When you see this kind of attitude in a life, either you, you have a lost person masquerading as a saved person, or you have someone who is just out of God's will. Let me ask you this. What drives your service in the church today? What are your motives for what you do? Paul tells us there's just one valid motive. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So the older sibling here had a problem with his motives. The older sibling also, too, had a problem with his mentality. When you listen to this boy talk to the father, you quickly realize that he is proud, disrespectful, arrogant, defensive, and angry. There's obviously something wrong with the way he is looking at what is happening here. He should be overjoyed that his brother has returned safely from the far-off country. He should be rejoicing that the father has received a lost son home again, but all he can, all he can do is whine and pout and complain. You know what the real problem is here that he has? He tells us in verse 30. If you look at what it says, he told the father that his brother had spent his money on prostitutes. He hasn't even talked to his brother or to the father. He's doing what he should be doing. The, the older, older sibling, the older brother, and can't believe what his younger brother's doing. He's, he's doing what's right, but then his younger brother doesn't do what's right, and then he gets all these things. You know what's wrong with him? Jealousy. There's a little bit of jealousy going on. He may be at home in his body, but he is in the distant country in his heart. He's as far away from the father as was the other son when he went away. And all he wants to do is live it up like the other boy did. But he can't, so he gets mad that the brother who did the very things he wants to do in his heart has been received by the father. It's like standing there and going, are you kidding me? If I did that, I'd, I wouldn't get all those things. This is what was wrong with the Pharisees. They kept the letter of the law outwardly, but in their hearts they longed for the sin. You don't have to be a drunk to be out of God's will. You don't have to be an adulterer to be in the distant country spiritually. You can serve the church. You can sing in the choir. You can be in the leadership position of the church or anything else you want to name and still be out of God's will. You can sit here this morning, maybe mad and resentful over things that may have taken place here at the church that hinders your walk with God. You can look religious and righteous today, but have a heart full of malice because of what someone said or did to you. That puts you in the distant country. You may look as good as anyone this morning, but you, you can have a heart that is filled with ugliness. You see what I'm saying? You can pretend to be anything you wish outwardly, but it's the condition of the heart 
that matters. When you get saved, the Lord gives you a new heart. That gives you the ability to live a new life. But it's possible for people with new hearts to go back into sin and into evil. So what's the solution, Pastor Jim? I'm glad you asked. It's a total surrender to Jesus in your life. A total surrender. You received Him as Savior, but you still struggle with who is in charge of your life. (laughs) You have areas of your life that are not occupied by Jesus. At salvation, you received all of God, but God has yet to receive all of you. So do you have Jesus as your Savior and Lord? This older sibling had a problem with his mentality. He also had a problem with his methods. It was considered to be the ultimate in disrespect for a young man to argue with his father. But this boy did it right in front of the servants and the guests. He brought as much or maybe more disgrace upon the father as the other son because he did it in public. And notice how this young man handled his anger. He attacked. He criticized. He blamed. This lets you know that his heart isn't right. And why? Because the outward attitudes and actions are a mirror into the heart. What's in the well comes up in the bucket. Paul writes about this in Galatians 5. He lists the acts of the sinful nature, reminding his readers that those who live like this won't inherit the kingdom of God. And then, in contrast, he lists the fruit of the Spirit and states that against such things, there is no law. And then, to wrap it all up, in verses 24 and 25 of Galatians chapter 5, Paul gives this statement in what I believe is, it just hits straight to the cause. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Two things. Crucify the sinful nature. Verse 24 is pretty convicting. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with His passions and desires. In in previous verses, 19 through 21 of Galatians 5, Paul gives examples of what that sinful nature looks like. You've probably come across that a number of times. You can look at it again if you want a little reminder. If we refuse to deal with the sinful nature and are still living in these ways, we haven't crucified the sinful nature. And if we haven't crucified the sinful nature, do we belong to Jesus? Crucify the sinful nature. The second thing is to keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Ever try to do a three-legged race with someone who's not in step with you? Good luck with that. You try to lift your foot up when they're just leaning on that, and you're like, oh, come on, we can't move. It's just a big disaster. God is interested in every part of our life, not just the spiritual part. As we live by the Holy Spirit's power, we need to submit every aspect of our life to God. The emotional, the physical, the social, the intellectual, the the vocational. And Paul says that because we're saved, we should live like it. (laughs) 
The Holy Spirit is the source of your new life, so keep in step with His leading. Don't let anything or anyone else determine your values and standards in any area of your life. Live each day controlled and guided by the Holy Spirit. Then the words of Christ will be in your mind, the love of Christ will be behind your actions, and the power of Christ will help you control your selfish desires. So what does your heart say about you? The person who can only attack others, criticize others, place blame on everyone but themselves, has some real spiritual issues. Their sinful nature needs crucified. And they need to keep in step with the Spirit. told you this hits kind of close to home sometimes. Then in verses 31 and 32, we see here the petition, uh, the petition he heard from the Father. Verses 31 and 32. My son, the Father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So this petition, it was a petition of pleading, pleading. The father went out and pleaded for this boy to come inside to the feast. And that word pleaded means to come alongside of another, to offer aid and comfort, to beg, to console, to comfort, to encourage. It's the same word that is translated comforter in John chapter 16, verse 13. And it is one of the names of the Holy Spirit, of course. And this father loved him. And notice that this son won't even call him father, but the father calls him son. This father went to this boy in the right spirit, but he was rejected. And whether you are saved or lost today, I trust that the Heavenly Father is speaking to your heart. I trust that He is touching areas that need to be fixed. It may, need, it may not feel good at the time. None of that does. But it sure is a blessing for the Lord to speak to your heart and call you to come in. And if He is calling, why not just obey His voice? <laughs> so it was a petition of pleading, and it was also a petition of promise. The Father praised Him for His efforts and reminded Him that everything was already His. In effect, this Father was saying, I value you and our relationship together more than I value what you've done. This boy could have enjoyed fellowship with the father anytime he wanted, but apparently he was too wrapped up with his own legalism and narrow-mindedness to realize it. This older sibling wanted what the father had, but he didn't want the father. And he didn't want anyone else to have the father either. <laughs> Same thing is true in many hearts today. People want the church. They want to feel better about themselves. They, they want a fire insurance policy from hell. But they don't want an intimate relationship with the Father. And often they resent those who do want that closeness. just want to remind you this morning, you are as close to the Lord as you want to be. It is up to you. You have as much fellowship with Him as you want to have. You can have more. If you want it, do you want more? So it was, a, it was a petition of promise. 
It was also a petition of priorities. The father tells this boy that it was necessary that they should have this celebration. And to the father, the return of the lost son was a cause for celebration. A lost one had been found. One considered dead was now alive again. And maybe most importantly, a father's love had, and faith had been justified and the family name restored. There was plenty of cause for rejoicing. And the father wants this boy to learn the truth that everything isn't about him and about him getting his own way. There are bigger issues at stake, and they should take priority. And so it is in the things of God. Nothing is more important than the glory of God. And instead of getting upset when things don't go our way, we should learn to thank the Lord for what He's doing. You see, instead of pouting, this boy could have been partying. (laughs) If you look at these verses, everyone is happy but this boy. The shepherd is happy. The woman is happy. The father is happy. The lost son is happy. The servants are happy. The only person in misery is this older brother. And he is miserable because he refuses to be happy. You can't make me. The feast is there. All he has to do is go in and enjoy himself. But he is standing out there pouting because he didn't get his way and because he is not the center of attention. What a shame. And there might be some here today in in those same shoes. You don't have to stay there. The Father is still calling you to come home if you want And have you ever noticed that this is an open-ended story? You get to verse 32 and you're going, okay, wait, is that it? There's nothing more? Did the older brother ever come into the feast? We don't know. I think Jesus left it this way for, for a reason. Probably for this reason that every individual must write his or her own ending to this story. Because it applies. What are we going to do? And whether you are a good storyteller or not, we should all give the pen over to the one who knows us best and can write the perfect ending to this story for us. If you are lost today, will you stay out or will you come in? If you are in but things aren't right, will you stay outside and pout about it? Or will you get in on what the Lord is doing? choice is yours. <laughs> what will you do? And you might say, well, I won't choose. Well, you just did. <laughs> making no choice is making a no choice. But I pray you won't do that today. If the Lord has spoken to your heart about salvation or about your personal walk with Him, please come today while He's calling you to come in. Respond to that. After all, the whole point of this extended parable has been to show the importance of the human soul to God and to point lost people to a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves you. He wants that relationship with you. Won't you come into Him? I'm going to pray, and Don's going to lead us in a song here. But let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would just continue to speak to our hearts right now. And Lord, if we're that person that's on the outside and not quite coming in yet, Lord, I pray that you continue to tug on our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that we we would respond in obedience. 
Maybe, Lord, there, there's other things that, that you've pointed out to us, and uh, Holy Spirit, you've touched on some things in our lives that we need to respond to, give over to you. Maybe we don't have you as Lord of our life. We've, got, we've received you as Savior, but we're still trying to do things on our own. Maybe today we just need to stop and say, okay, I, I surrender my all to you right now. Whatever it is, I pray that as the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, that you would respond in obedience and help us, Lord, to do that. Help us to respond in obedience for whatever you have for us here today. And thank you, Lord, that we can come to the altar here and pray. We can pray right where we're at. Whatever the situation is for us, however we respond, help us, Lord, to respond as yes to you. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray.